So how many of you have ever heard the saying, so close, yet so far away? How many have heard that? Okay. A lot of us, of course. And doesn't it just seem on the surface to be one of those bland, trite, basically unmeaningful cliches? But, but it's not. It really expresses an idea that is packed with some powerful emotional experiences. In fact, when, when experienced, it can leave us with this profound sense of loss and disappointment and sadness for what we were so close to and yet we missed. As I was kind of walking through this in my own personal life, I came up with just tons of examples of this that really proved the point in a meaningful way for me. And since this is a conversation, I thought I'd, you know, kind of get you to the same place I finally arrived at it. How many of you um, were alive when the Apollo 11 landing happened? You were alive. Okay. Very interesting. We're old, right? So I was 10 years old when I watched that thing all happen. And I, I look at, I, I'm very well aware that in the younger generations, there's a lot of talk about that being a conspiracy and all the documentaries out there. And it was in a movie theater and movie studio and never really happened, but you know, whatever. Um, but let's just go with history as it's been taught us about it landing. Apollo 11, first moon landing. Who was the first guy that put his feet on the moon. Neil Armstrong, yeah, talk to me, that's right, Neil Armstrong. I mean, you know, uh, the, the little step for man, big step for mankind deal, you know? And then who was his partner who walked on the moon with him? Yeah, Buzz Aldrin, for sure, that's right. Who was the third guy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No one other than his parents know his name. You know, I was like, actually, I think I heard a high IQ Mensa person here say it, but the rest of us who don't have photographic memories, Michael Collins, that's his name, Michael Collins. Who in the heck is that? He was the guy that orbited the moon in the command module. He was the guy that had to watch Neil and, you know, buzz get in the cool lunar landing vehicle and go down to the moon and he had to watch the pictures and he's up in the moon orbiting the moon. And by the way, how cool, be an astronaut, how cool, get to feel the G-force of the rocket, how cool to see the world, the universe from that point of view. No doubt he had a privilege, but you know it killed him. Because he didn't choose it. NASA said, Neil, you're on. Buzz, you're on. Michael, mm, you're not good looking enough to be on the camera down there. He's like, he had to orbit the moon. So close, yet so far away. And think about this. He, he, he was significantly bummed. You know he agonized over it. Jim Kelly, Fran Tarkenton, and Dan Marino. Do, do, do you know what they all had in common? They were great quarterbacks that led their teams to the Super Bowl. Something the Lions can't even fantasize about, you know? It's like, 
I mean, these were great quarterbacks. They led their teams to the Super Bowl, to the big game. But they never won it. So close yet so far. Kelly, I mean, crazy. Four times in a row and didn't win. Fran Tarkenton, great quarterback of days gone by, took his team three times, didn't win. And then Marino, one of the great quarterbacks of all time, early in his career, got there, you know, and lost, no big deal. He's got his career in front of him, never got back. So close, yet so far away. I guarantee you, I mean, I'm a little bit competitive. These guys were professional competitors. They, you know that they still, to this day, agonize over being so close but never touching the ring, right? You know, they, they're haunted by this. They lose, they lose sleep over this, especially as Brady pushes his rings around in a wheelbarrow. You know, it's like, hey guys, losers. The idea of being haunted, the idea of agonizing over something so close that we never really get to touch is real for all of us. It haunts us. I, I met Jim Lovell of Apollo 13. How many of you saw Apollo 13, the movie with Tom Hanks, right? Well, I met the real guy. I had the real privilege of doing it. And, and I have to tell you, it was an interesting deal because the moon was his entire dream, the moon. It's what he worked his entire life for. And they gave him the command of Apollo 13. Apollo 11 happened, 12 happened. He's going to the moon and his dream was going to be fulfilled. And though he got so close, if you saw the movie, you know, the, something happened and they had to just circle around the moon and they had to come back to earth. And he never got the moon. He lost the moon so close, but so far away. And obviously he was glad to be alive, but it haunted him. Just know this, it's a big deal. It's a life-defining deal to be so close to something you value greatly, need desperately, you think, and not to get it. Well, sadly, this is the reality for many people when it comes to God. And by the way, I mean, let's be honest. When it comes to experiencing God's power and God's presence and God's promises, when it comes to experiencing the eternal life only God can give you, this is a bigger deal than an NFL Super Bowl ring. It's a bigger deal than landing on the moon. Those are temporary things. This is big stuff. This is the stuff all of life is made out of. And yet so many people get so close they orbit God, they orbit his presence, they orbit his promise, they orbit around all these things, but they never, ever, ever land on it. Here, here's the reality we need to see as we continue in this series called Breaking Through. Many who claim to know, love, and live for God don't. I mean, they're close enough to claim it. You know, I, I mean, I know God. I'm living for God, I love for God. They, they sing it, they declare it, people buy it. But as much as they claim it and express it, they don't really. So close, yet so far away. Jesus taught this really clearly in Matthew chapter seven. Look at verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not 
prophesy, profess your name, and in your name did we not do the supernatural, drive out demons, and perform many miracles? Then Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Talk about sad. There's no bigger loss than this. There's no more agonizing and haunting reality than this because it's eternal. These people say the right words. They go to the right places and they do the right things, but they don't actually know and experience God. They're so close, but so far away. Biblically speaking, could there be a better example of this than Judas Iscariot? You know, Judas, the betrayer, the one who sold Jesus for a little bit of money and then was in such grief and despair about it that he killed himself. Judas, Judas was one of the 12. Judas was one of the close followers of Jesus. Talk about orbiting the moon of God's reality. You've got to be kidding. He was there, walked with Jesus for three and a half years, was taught by Jesus, witnesses, and Witness what Jesus did, but also experience doing what Jesus did because Jesus gave him, along with the other 11, power to cast out demons and to heal people representing Jesus. He was a part of the supernatural work of what Jesus did. And yet Jesus said he clearly wasn't a believer because Jesus said it would have been better if he'd never been born, which meant eternal life wasn't his. So a lot of people ask, and this is a good question, how... How could a guy like Judas, who really didn't know God, do supernatural miracles? How does that work? How could people do supernatural things but not really know Jesus? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Supernatural spiritual works are a display of God's power, not proof of genuine faith of the person. Whoa. So what's the reason that many who claim to know, love, and live for God, who sing about it and who display it, don't really have that kind of relationship? What's the underlying reason I can tell you in a word? Hypocrisy. Now, I know that sounds like a really bad word, and it is, but sounds like a word that we'd use of other people, but not of ourselves. But this is a human reality. This is something we all experience because what it's speaking of is having the outside look different or better than the inside. Hypocrisy. Jesus talked a lot about it in the spiritual world. He says there are so many people who, who have put on spirituality but who aren't really spiritual. They look spiritual. They talk spiritual. They act spiritual. They've got everyone convinced they know and live and love for God, but they don't. Matthew 15, he was talking to all of those who claim to be his people, but especially the religious leaders. Look what he says in verse 7. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me on the outside, but on the inside they don't. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are rules taught by men. Isn't that sad? So close, yet so far away. What's the result? Well, the result is harmful. It's destructive. It's dangerous for each of us who allow ourselves to exist in hypocrisy and, and for the rest of the world because 
the result is that they totally miss the point and live only for themselves. Those who have the outside appearance but not the inside reality, those who make the claim but don't really know God, they in the end are missing the whole point. They're missing the promises. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And they're claiming Jesus and his promises, but they're not experiencing life and life to the full. Jesus gave us the promise of peace and joy and hope and goodness and grace and purpose and significance. And, and they're claiming those things and singing those things, but they're not experiencing those things. They're missing the whole point. And as a result, they're still living only for themselves and selfishness because they're trying to find the joy in other things because they don't have the joy of the reality of Jesus in them. Do you see it? This is destructive. And I, I know, look at hypocrisy is not one of the most exciting words on the planet. One of the reasons we didn't broadcast big time that we were doing a talk on hypocrisy this weekend is because you wouldn't have been here. Hypocrisy? I'm going to that. If we talk about stuff that's, you know, real and agonizing that we relate to, resentment and hurts and regrets, like we've talked about the last couple of weeks, man, I need to break through that. I need help with that. Now it's hypocrisy. We're going to go, that's for other people. But it's not. It's for us. I actually believe this issue of hypocrisy is keeping more of us from experiencing the reality of God than most of those other things, to be honest with you. Causes us to miss the point and live for ourselves, to live selfishly and in dark lives. And Jesus is the one that said it. Look at Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, just to be seen by them. Doesn't mean you can't live for God in other people's view, do God-like things in other people's view. He's saying, don't do it just because they're viewing you. And think about how we adjust our lives when we come into an environment like this. I mean, what, every morning we're getting up and going, I love you, Jesus, I love you. And we're singing on top of our lungs. No, we only do that when other people are watching. Think about the things we do because of the crowd that aren't the reality of who we are. And now you know we so often all are so close but so far. He says, if you do this, if you, look at, if you're adjusting your outside so that you'll be viewed beyond where you really are with God, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He gives some examples. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their full reward. And it doesn't mean don't, don't let anyone know you're giving. It means don't do it just so they'll know you're giving. And they said, hey, if you're going to pray, great, but don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. They're, they're living for the applause of people instead of the applause of God, and they've already got it. This doesn't say never pray publicly. It says don't pray publicly if your only reason is to make people think you're more spiritual than you are. To impress people and this is really hard isn't it it's really hard because we're always aware of people watching and we want people to think well of us and and very often we exaggerate the reality of who we are and that's hypocrisy 
you're missing the point, living for yourselves and robbing yourself of everything God has for you if you live for men's applause instead of God's. Because what it'll cause you to do is look right on the outside, but remain on the inside empty and miserable. And can I just tell you, if, if the truth of Jesus isn't changing your character and your attitude and your values and your thoughts and your view, then you might be really close, but you're really far away. Just like we don't know Michael Collins' name, Jesus says he doesn't know the name of those who don't really know him, as far as his children. So close, but so far away. So here's the truth, and this is, I hope I've established for you the way that God has impacted me, this reality, so that you want to hear it. Because here, here's the truth we have to realize. Genuinely knowing and experiencing God, which is where life begins, where life is transformed, where we become something we could never be and never will be on our own, genuinely knowing and experiencing God demands breaking through hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy comes naturally for all of us to pretend we're more than we are, to adjust the outside. That's easy for us. That's why we do it. But, but man, genuinely knowing and experiencing God demands that we break through that and experience and become the real thing. The Bible was filled with this. And it's my responsibility as a pastor to help you to see the realities that God tells us that we all struggle with and help you to break through, right? Here's James chapter 2. Look at verse 14. What, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith? You know, they sing, they raise their arms, they make a show of it. But their life doesn't measure up. They have no deeds. Can such faith save them? Gives an example. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go. I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. I'll pray for you, put you on the prayer list, tell other people about you, but does nothing about their physical needs. What the crap good is that? If I translated the Bible, it'd be a lot more fun to read, <clears throat> but it's what it's saying. In the same way, he says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead, it's lifeless, it's worthless. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, you know? And he says, show me your faith without your life change, your deeds, and I will show you my faith by the transformation in my life, by what I do, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And you know, the sentence can be read both ways, right? Faith without the evidence of life change is dead. The image of life change and deeds without faith is dead. They're both useless. I'm telling you, these are powerful words and very convicting. Faith that is all words is worthless if it doesn't produce life change. After all, what good is love spoken, but not given. That's every wedding ceremony that led to a divorce, right? It's worthless. What, what good is joy and hope and peace declared, 
but not experienced, it's absolutely worthless. Which is why so many have determined this whole idea of church and spiritual life and all of that is worthless because what they see are a bunch of people who are all words and no reality. So close, but so far away. So since this is challenging to me because I see the tension of it in my life and wrestle with it and because I don't want to be so close to experiencing God and not experience him, so close to knowing his promise but not knowing the promise, I, I've tried to wrestle through what the problem is and what the solution is. And here, here, it gets right down to it. The problem is inauthentic faith, inauthentic faith. Faith that's just not genuine and real. Now, I, just notice, it doesn't say insincere. Because there are a ton of people, even in Jesus' day, who were unbelievably sincere in the way they were trying to express their declared faith. They were just wrong. Judas was sincere. He was trying to get Jesus on his agenda, but his faith was inauthentic. And the same thing is with us. Inauthentic. And you need to know, inauthentic faith evidences itself in two ways that are antithetical, that are opposite, both being destructive and dangerous. And see if you can see yourself. The first one is, when we have inauthentic faith, it leads us to words of faith, declarations of faith, without actions of faith. Yeah, you saw that in James 2, 14 through 18. I've already read it. It's like this. Words of love, words of forgiveness, words of grace, words of encouragement, words of compassion, words of hope, right? But no genuine evidence of them. And when that happens, it destroys. It's dangerous. And know this, it destroys the person who's pretending because you can only pretend so long. I've seen so many, I've been in ministry a long time, I've been a Christian a long time, I've seen so many people come in and, and they want the promises of Jesus and they talk about it and they start singing and they start adjusting their outside to it, but, but they never really experience the real joy within, they never really experience the real hope, they never really experience the real peace, they never really experience it. And so the outside changes, but you can only pretend so long, so in the end they throw the whole thing away because it's not real to them. They've just changed their clothing. They haven't let God change their life. Don't allow this to happen to you, please. I'm begging you. Don't be so close to all that God has for you and still be so far away. Don't miss it. And there's another way it evidences itself. It's kind of the antithetical way when we have inauthentic faith, it leads some of us to live life with actions of faith, demonstrations of faith without a true heart of faith. And James 2, 14 through 18 says this as well, but the man, God really nails it. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flame, look, if I adjust my life to actions of faith where I sacrifice everything, including my life, for my declarations of Jesus, but have not love, 
I gain nothing. It's worthless. It's dead. It's useless. Oh my gosh. It doesn't matter how beautiful you look on the outside. What's the condition of your heart? This is really dangerous, actions of faith without heart of faith, because it's really difficult to discern the genuine from the fake until it's too late, until the damage is done. In recent days, there have been some large church pastoral failures. I mean, some of them have been friends of mine. I mean, the works that they did, they were a part of, were amazing. And then they fell. Their actions displayed that they were amazingly spiritual people, but as it turns out, their hearts, somewhere along the way, got messed up. And in the end, it was very destructive, destructive to people, because a lot of people, their whole faith was built upon the idea that these people were leading in truth. And it was destructive to churches and to God's glory. It even has shadow effects in places like this because then people look at me through different eyes because, oh. And the truth is, it could be me. Because you see, the reality is, I look no different to you when my relationship is perfect with Jesus as I'm declaring his truth and when my heart is messed up with Jesus declaring the truth. I look exactly the same. That's scary business. So can I just give you some counsel? Don't let the messed up actions of people who allow hypocrisy to destroy them mess you up. I've seen so many people reject God because of the failures of other people. I'm going to just tell you something. People are going to fail. This issue is very real for, for people. They wrestle with it. But don't blame God for the hypocrisy of someone's life. When you do, you're only hurting yourself because God's real, whether these people ever landed on him or not. Right? And I tell you, there have been very few weekends. Yeah, you can give them a hand. There have been very few weekends that I've been in a really bad place with God and yet given the talk, but there have been a couple. And you know what? I watched lives get changed. I watched God's Word impact people. I watched people come to faith. And I knew I was messed up with God, which helped me to realize that it's God's power that builds his church. It's not a person. It's God's power that changes a life, not a person. Can we start focusing on him? And just know this, if this can happen to people who commit their lives to ministry, you know it can happen to all of us. And I, I just need you to know this. This is so important for me to share with you. Your heart ultimately determines whether you do or don't genuinely experience God in your life. NASA does not get to choose whether you only orbit or land in this issue. You get to choose. And it's time we make the right choices. 
Don't be so close and yet so far away. If you see any of these signs in your life, do something about it now. Which leads me to the solution. What's the solution? The problem in authentic faith. What's the solution? Well, very clearly, it's authentic faith. And if I could just stop for a moment and help you to understand the unbelievable display of intelligence and discernment that I had to have to come up with this as the solution. It's just an amazing thing, isn't it? That the problem is inauthentic faith, so the solution, oh, how did I get that? How did I even arrive at that? The solution's authentic faith. There are some people all the time go, oh my gosh, I know this, this is so simple. I wish Brad would take me deeper. I wish Brad would take me deeper. Let me just tell you right now. Brad can take you as deep as Brad can go and you'll only be on the service until God is in you, taking you to the depth of his truth and then that can change your world. <laughs> Authentic faith. Look at how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Watch out for false prophets. And this isn't just talking about people like me who proclaim it on a platform. This is talking about any single person who makes a faith profession that's false. Dads can destroy their kids. Moms can destroy their kids. Husbands and wives can destroy each other. Neighbors can destroy their neighbors. Bosses and employees can destroy each other. It's not about being in big time positions. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. The outside they've got really working, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. They're hypocrites. By their fruit, you'll ultimately recognize them. They can kid you for a while, but pretending gets hard after a while and they're gonna fall. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree, if it's a good tree, what's it going to bear? Good fruit. But a bad tree can only bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is ultimately cut down and thrown into the fire. You remember what Jesus says? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into my, you know, God's going to say, get away from me. I never knew you. Whoa. It's because they were proclaiming that they were good trees, but in the end, they really weren't. So he says, by your fruit, you will recognize them. Here, here's what Jesus is teaching in this passage. It's so often missed by people. Authentic faith never leaves you the same. Authentic faith changes you. And this is where I get so fearful as a pastor. So many people have come in and started proclaiming that they found faith in Jesus here, and yet so many times nothing about them changes. Are you kidding me? Authentic faith changes us, and it, it changes us first on the inside. It changes us on the inside. Jesus says if he takes a bad tree and makes it a good tree, a whole different tree. He transforms it into something it wasn't before. He, when, when we have genuine faith, authentic faith, he changes our heart and what it beats for, our values and what they embrace, our thoughts and our views and our desires and our dreams. And I've seen so many people come in and accept the language of Jesus, but nothing about their views or values or thoughts changed. 
How can that be? It can't. And it's not just on the inside, but once it changes us on the inside, then it changes us on the outside. You can change the outside without the inside being changed, but you'll be empty and you'll cave in on yourself ultimately, but you cannot change the inside and not have the outside change. Man, a good tree is going to produce good fruit at some point, which means when we have authentic faith, we'll live differently, we'll make different choices, we'll pursue different things, we'll embrace different ideas because God has changed our views and our values and our beliefs and our thoughts. I, I want you to realize the difference between religion and truly knowing God, okay? Religion takes a bad tree and makes it look like a good tree. But Jesus takes a bad tree and transforms it into a good one. Which has happened to you? A great example of this that Jesus gave us was the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story where someone says, you know, how do I love God and love others? Who's my neighbor? What do I do? And so Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. There was this guy that got beat to a pulp and left for dead on the side of the road. And two guys that really looked godly came by. I mean, they had the whole package. They were a priest and Levite, had given everything to God. And they saw this guy abused and broken on the road. And they went to the other side of the road and walked by and went on their business. And then there was a Samaritan. And you need to know Samaritan was the guy that didn't look godly. In that culture, they were seen to be the pagans, the compromisers. No way they could know God. So the Samaritan, who on the outside didn't look at all like he was supposed to look, was the one that went over and showed compassion on this guy and brought him to healing. Jesus says, which one's loving God and loving others? Which one do you look like? <laughs> Seriously. So the question is, what can we do to make sure our faith is authentic and not inauthentic? What can we do? Well, we can take some steps. We really can. God's got to do it ultimately but we have to choose to let him do it so we can land on the moon of his reality. And so let me just share some action steps that you can consider. The first is very clearly to evaluate your faith. You have to evaluate your faith. Sadly, many who claim the light is theirs, that they live in the light of Jesus, still really live in darkness. And you know why? It's because they consistently evaluate other people and judge them and they never evaluate themselves. The church of Jesus Christ, quote unquote, is filled with this. People who hear talks don't evaluate their own life and adjust their own life. They just take that as a hammer to beat it on the heads of everyone else in the world. It's a load of crap. We need to evaluate our own faith. Jesus is the one that says it. Too many of us are worried about the speck in someone else's eye, but we're not even looking at the log in our own. This is a Jesus thing. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that if Jesus is in you, my gosh, you're a good tree. You've been transformed on the inside and the out. And of course, unless it's just a claim and you fail the test. We need to examine our own faith. We need to ask questions like, does my life match my words? 
Do my actions match my heart? What's the fruit in my life, good or bad? And then once we evaluate our faith, then, then we have to take a step into genuine faith. We have to literally embrace, give ourselves fully over to genuine faith, to trusting God instead of ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The, the old has gone, the new has come. Apply that to Jesus' teaching about good tree, bad tree. If anyone truly embraces Jesus with genuine faith, they become a new creation, different than they ever were before. The old has gone. Their old nature, their old hypocrisy, the old tree and its fruit, gone. The new has come. You see, when you really embrace genuine faith, you become a different kind of tree entirely. Are there any signs of this in your life? And I'm not asking for my benefit. I don't want you to be in the spiritual realm, the Michael Collins, orbiting around all there is of God and never landing. And so in this moment, just before I give you the last thought and some quick ways that you can see if they're in your life, would you bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment? And as we bow in prayer, I want to encourage all of you to evaluate your faith, examine your faith, and in the areas you find short, embrace genuine faith with Jesus. But if you're here today and you've never experienced Jesus transforming you from the inside out, maybe you've got the religious package on the outside, or maybe you have none of the religious package on the outside, but you know on the inside you don't have Jesus, this is your moment. Jesus says, I'm standing, I'm knocking at the door. All you have to do is open it and I'll come in. Won't you let him in right now? Take my words in this prayer and you don't have to say it out loud, but in your heart, just say, Jesus, I'm opening the door of my life to you right now. I I'm turning away from my sin and my guilt. I'm acknowledging it, but I'm turning to you, trusting that you died to forgive me and rose to make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, just before I get to this last thought, there's nothing you can do better than taking next steps in your relationship with God, and we want to help you. We want to give you a Bible, information, and all that. We won't be obnoxious in your life. We just want to help you move forward. And, and all you have to do is take out your phone and text us at 313131. That's the number that we text for everything around here, 313131. And the message is just Northridge. Just put one word message, Northridge. We'll send you that Bible, that information. Let us help you take steps forward. But once you've evaluated your faith and you embrace genuine faith, it can't end there. Because remember, he changes you on the inside and on the outside, right? And so the third step I want to encourage you to think about is that we need to engage works of faith. When we evaluate our faith and then we embrace genuine faith and he starts transforming us on the inside, then we don't lock it up in there. Then we start engaging it externally, works of faith, good fruit. Look at Jesus as the perfect example, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns. Notice that word went. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, He had compassion on them 
because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. They were broken. And then he said to his disciples, hey, the harvest is plentiful. You see all the needs and all the broken people. They're looking for answers, but the people serving are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore. Pray that he'll send out workers into his harvest field to meet these needs. Do you know who he sends? He sends people who have evaluated their faith and then embraced genuine faith and then are willing to engage in works of faith. People like us. And you know what happens? We, they become just like Jesus. We become just like Jesus. Jesus went. Well, the first thing happens when you engage works of faith is you go. He go. He, he, he went. He left heaven and came to earth. He went to where the broken people were. We need to go. We need to go into our lives, into our workplaces, into our families, and we need to go with the idea of what Jesus did. Why did he go? Not just to go and to see and to judge, but to serve. He went to meet their needs. He, he wanted to encourage them and lift them up. He wanted to share the goodness of this grace. So few, so few who claim Jesus and sing Jesus follow Jesus in going and serving. And I'm not telling you, you mean I have to go like to Egypt or South America or the Philippines? No. You have to go into your life as a different tree. Instead of serving yourself to get, serving others who need all the same environments. And then what happens when you do that? Well, well, when you go and serve, the same thing will happen to you that happened to Jesus. Then you'll see he saw the brokenness. He saw the needs. He saw the burdens. And you know, when he saw it, then he felt it. He was moved with compassion. Do you know why so few of us have empathy for the brokenness in the world, for the poverty in the world, for the darkness in the world? It's because we're still consuming Jesus for ourselves and we haven't yet engaged works of faith that make us go serve so we can see and feel. And you know what it leads us to do? Exactly what Jesus told us it would. We then pray, God, send the people into this world, send me into this world so that the brokenness of this world might be transformed by your healing. I'm telling you, when you embrace genuine faith, this stuff starts happening naturally. Is it happening naturally in you? Man, we need to start praying and engaging. All right, since engaging our faith all starts with going and serving, we decided to give you the opportunity to step right in this weekend. And I, I need you to know, it's, this isn't what we want from you. So many who aren't embracing genuine faith, they're going to go, oh, look, they want something else from me. No, we don't. We want something for you. And we know until you step in and go and serve, you'll never see and feel and you'll never be trans. I mean, you've got to step in. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. And I'm so excited of the steps that you can take. We have a great opportunity coming that makes it really easy to step into serving here on campus. And by the way, we should be serving not just on campus, but in community around the world. I get it. But the easy first step right here, we have a great opportunity coming. You know what it is? Easter. Do you realize we... We swell to over 25,000, close to 30,000 as we do Easter. And all kinds of opportunities to serve and to see and to pray and to help people like Jesus was doing and 
instead of just coming and sitting. And I want to encourage you to step in. We have hundreds of ministries around here you could get involved with, but Easter allows for a centralized first step where you can make an impact. And I want to encourage you to do it. If you're interested at all, then all you have to do is text us to that same number I already mentioned, 313131, only this time the one word text is volunteer. And it'll flip you to a page where you can pick the area and, and do that. And text us, let us help you to get plugged in so that you can start this process of engaging your work of faith. But some of you, and I, look at it's kind of funny. I, some of you refuse to text. I can, you can come to faith, Jesus and change your life. I'm not texting. Okay, I, it's okay. You can go to our website, northridgechurch.com, and you can see it, and you can get the information in the program we gave you. It's all in there, and, and you can, you know, get all hooked up. That's cool. And some of you go, I'm not doing it. All right. Uh. So, you can do that, but we're also going to give you questions, you want to talk to a real-life person, you know, even though texting talks to real-life people, and so do websites, but that's, if you want to talk, we've got people with signs that are going to be in this auditorium with some areas, and so I can show you on the screen where they're going to be, and up the front to my right here, stage right, is if you're, I'm just not sure. We're trying to make sure you have absolutely no excuse, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, we got a sign for that, right? Not sure. Uh, here in the middle, creative arts, anyone who wants to be a part of what we do on the weekends, our guest services, our things, the things on the platform and all that, that's creative arts, lighting, you see it. And then over here, we'll have kids, someone with a sign, they can tell you how to make a difference in a kid's life. And then in the cutaway back there, you, you'll see facilities people, help, we'll help take care of the building during Easter and special needs, we'll help take care of special needs so that families with special needs people can know the love of Jesus in their life and they can experience the power of the resurrection in their life. And then over here, we'll have cafe and food for those of you who are really tired and really desperately need a coffee. Uh, you can serve in a cafe and food. And those are some just primary areas you can get involved in. So you can text, you can go to the website or you can come talk to them. But here's the thing, I don't want something from you, I want something for you. Because if you're gonna know and experience God, you've gotta break through hypocrisy. You gotta break through it. Sadly, many people are so close to experiencing God and his promises yet so far away. Let's not let this happen to us. Let's evaluate our faith. Let's embrace genuine faith and then engage works of faith. Let's allow Jesus to change us inside and out because when that happens, the world has a chance to find his hope. Let's do it together. We'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. I'm